Father, Lord, I do ask that you would put your spirit upon us and upon our hearing, that you would bless our ability to hear your voice. Lord, I ask you for your grace to be able to speak, to speak clearly, to bring and offer that which is valuable. Father, I worship you. Lord, help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, this is an interesting little title I, I thought up. It's called Captivated by What? Captivated by Who? And in itself, that title has sort of more questions in it than, than what it answers. It actually gives you no idea of what I'm going to talk about, really, except it might have something to do with being captivated. And um, but anyway, the first thing we need to ask is, you know, what, what captivates us? What captivates you? And so we'll go back to Colossians. We were in Colossians last week, but we'll go back to Colossians and, and revisit some, some concepts. Here you, we read in, in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive. Oh, there's that word, captive. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So, there we see this. You see I've highlighted that little phrase, the, element, the elemental spirits of the world. And we're going to look into this. The elemental spirits of the world. What does that phrase mean? And it comes up. First of all, we'll, we'll retouch on what we were talking about last week. You guys weren't here last week, but last week I was talking about reasons. And we all need a reason for doing things. And if the reason isn't good enough, you know, say you're, you're studying something or, or want to go on a long run or, or whatever it might be in life, if your reason's not good enough, then when things get difficult, you find yourself falling over, not pushing through. Something, something happens and you don't accomplish that which you initially set out to do. But if your reason is good enough, then you can. And very often you do. And reading again in, in Colossians last week, we've, we found two, two sort of types of reasons and there's, you could put them into two groups. And the first one had to do with what others think. And so sometimes we're motivated by things that are outside of us because we're, we're, we're worried about what others might think of us. Um, but probably more pointedly, we're worried about what we think others think of us. And if, you're, if that's the reason why you're doing something, then that's not a very good reason and it'll fall over. Um, we could also be worried about not wanting to be disqualified. Um, and that brings us to the point where 
if we're worried that other people are going to disqualify us, and so that thought drives us, and that's our reason for doing something, we'll eventually find ourselves in a place where we, we disqualify ourselves because the reason isn't good enough, it gets too hard, we fall short, and we just make believe. Well, we come to a place of believing that we just can't do it, and so we disqualify ourselves. And, um, but there's also a whole heap of things in our culture whether it be religious culture, family culture, or the culture of you know, the society in which we live, which have an appearance of wisdom, and you think, oh, well, I'll just go along with the crowd, but that wisdom comes from, from human reasoning. It's not actually wise, and it's actually just part of a, something that's been made up ourselves and you'll find in the scripture there, Paul saying that all of those things have no value. You keep reading into chapter 3 of Colossians, you'll actually find a reason that does have value, and that is a reason that works, and it has to do with seeking what is above. And it's, it's setting your eyes on things that are above, and what are we setting our eyes on? Of course, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're actually meant to be with him and we are with him in glory and it's the fact that we are actually chosen by him and so all of these things are, are reasons that surpass anything else they're actually reasons that work but when you go through all of them the reason is actually Jesus our heart for Jesus our devotion for Jesus our love for Jesus and the fact that the Bible says, it says, be holy, for I am holy. In another place it says, you will be holy, because I am holy. And, and this, this in itself is reason enough. Sometimes, especially in, in churches, we can, you can find young men and young women, sometimes not, sometimes not young men, sometimes just most of us. But this is something that young men and young women are particularly susceptible to, is that they'll try hard in a church and in a denomination, in an institutional culture to, to do something and to be something, to be recognised, and what they're actually seeking is, is to look good. And they might be seeking a position or in a place because they think that in getting to that position or that place, well, then that, that is the reason. And so they're actually modifying their behaviour to get to a position or to be recognised, to have some sort of esteem, and that reason doesn't last. It's hollow. The reason that is good enough and that does produce fruit is simply to serve Christ, to do the will of God, to long to be obedient to Him. That's a reason that will work. And so when you compare the two reasons, one comes out of human wisdom and it actually has layers of independence, of striving, and the other comes out of humility, of putting yourself in Christ and just falling in love with him, fellowship with him. But we're looking here at this word, which in this, this version of the Bible is translated the elemental spirits of this, of the world. Um, the King James sometimes uses the word rudiments. Um, other versions might use 
elements, as in, you know, like elements are the basic building blocks that make up of everything. So there's something in this word, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You know, there's the, where you'd find it in the, a Greek, a Strong's Greek um, dictionary. But it, it means basically something orderly in arrangement, something that is, you know, a, a basal, or there's a base or a fundamental or an initial constituent. You know, it's basically, it's a, an element, a principle or a rudiment. And so Paul uses this concept a few times in the scriptures and he and attaches these warnings to that. This is, is that why are you going back to these base principles of the world and letting go what you find in Christ? And this is something that is in human nature. And we want to just spend a little bit of time exploring that. So let's, let's just look at the use of this particular word, um, which I suppose there's no point in me trying to, to pronounce it, but it's like stoi, what is it? Stoichion. But we don't speak Greek, we speak English. And so in this version here, the basic principles of the oracles of God. So how... Now here, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, now there's something foundational. He says, about this, this is Hebrews 5, chapter 11 through 14. He says, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. They're using this word again, something that is right at the bottom, a basic principles. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So this here is the use of this word in a positive sense. Because yes, in the Christian faith, in our walk with the Lord, there are some foundational things that, we, that must be there. If they're not there, well, then we have a problem. And here the writer to the Hebrews is saying, um, you know, you should have been way past this, but you're actually not. And the reason why these people were not, were not was because they're distracted by other things in the world, other basic principles that were of the world and not of the oracles of God or not of the word of God or not of the ways of God, they're actually having their eyes going from Jesus to the things around them. And, and so you have this, this concept that applies in two places. It applies in your walk with God, but it also applies in how you live in this world. And we want to explore you know, what the Bible has to say about that and any warnings that there might be. This here is a, is a longer passage. This is what Paul had to say to the Galatians. But this same concept come up. Um, you know, he's talking to the Galatian, the Galilean Christians, and rather than the Colossians, which was the other passage. So we'll just read a little bit more to put it in a context. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So Paul here is talking about, you know, you're part of the Christian faith. You're part of the household of God. Um, there is in this particular world that you have come into, which is, which is a, a, you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God, but all those things that you see in the world, well, they no longer divide. He's talking here about, you know, Jew or Greek, slave or free. But you've come into something else. You've come into a family, the family of God. He, said, he says, I mean that the heir, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the, the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and the managers until the day set by his father. So Paul here is referring to the fact that there was the law was set in place beforehand and the law was like a, a custodian, like a guardian of, guardian of the truth. And then now that Christ has come, all those things that separated, all those things that pointed forward to Christ, they no longer have jurisdiction because now you've come to an age where you've come into Christ and those things no longer separate. It says, in the same way also we are children were enslaved to the elementary pr principles of the world. So there was a time, and there is a time, if we don't know the Lord, and we're not walking with the Lord, we, where we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, that's a longish you know, passage to, to read. But the point that we need to understand from this scripture is again that there's this contrast, that there's elemental all these foundational or initial principles that are at work that in, in, the, in, our, in the fleshly realm, in our culture, the things that we, we live in, they are pressing against us. But at the same time, there's a greater truth where Jesus Christ has come and he has given to us the spirit of adoption so that we actually come into a different reality, which is instead of being subject to these principles, we now become subject to these principles. But as I was saying before, everything that God does is not coerced. He, he doesn't force you to do anything, otherwise it wouldn't be real. You know, a, a genuine con commitment of the heart, and we're talking about where you set your eyes, what is it that captivates you? If it is to be real, then it has to be free. And so, this is something that the Lord has, has given us the opportunity to participate in. He offers a truth. He offers a grace. He offers a blessing that we can even see that we need it. And, and we can participate in, in God's will, in God's ways. 
And the thing is that what is often the case with so many of us is that we participate in both. Is that we try and live our lives recognising and, and thinking, you know, and being affected by the, the basic principles of the world in which we live and then at the same time try and participate in, in these, those principles in the household of God. And, and so it's, it's, it's like you're living your life of you know, coming into the household of God and, and wanting to be a son, but then going, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to go over here and perhaps just at the moment I don't want to be a son. And it's this, this living a, a life where you're, you're torn, where you're, part of you is captivated by this and the other part's captivated by that, it's no fun. It's no fun at all. And, and the thing is that it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. And we'll see what Paul had to say about it. You know, here we read another place, back in, in Galatians, a little bit further on from what we were reading before. It says, Formerly, this is Galatians chapter 4, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He's talking to the Galatian Christians who lived in a culture and, and there was a big mixture of cultures, a lot of pagan religions. Plus, on top of that, there was Jewish Judaism that was, was coming in and mixing in as well. So there's all these different cultures and different religious expectations that were coming in. And, and Paul was basically saying that you were enslaved by those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves, whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul here is, is talking here to the Galatians in that they were, they'd taken hold of the message of the gospel of Christ and of freedom and that salvation was by faith and so that's what they, they were pursuing. But then these other ideas came in where they had to try and add other things to their faith, add other things to their behaviour to make them, and these were human ideas. These were ideas that came out of the law. And it says right here, it says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And Paul's attitude is this. It says, I'm afraid that, I've, that I have laboured over you in vain. You can, Paul's here saying, my little, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He goes on and says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. What captivates your heart is actually a really big deal. Paul here Look, if you can read between the lines and try and put yourself in, in Paul's mind. He says, you know, he's worried. He was afraid that I've laboured in vain. 
He says he's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I've highlighted that, that phrase, until Christ is formed in you, because that's his goal. Because having Christ formed in you, setting your eyes, having Christ as your reason, Christ as the reason, rather than all the other things we try to tack on, like, you know, if I, if I appear okay, if I turn up to church and I'm dressed well, if when I pray I use the right words and sound okay, if I, you know, come to the working bee and put in a good effort, now all of those things are well and good, but if they're your reason, if they're your motivation for turning up and doing things, they become hollow and in the end they fall over. And here, here Paul is attaching these other concepts that come even deeper with regard to your faith. If you think, if you think that you have to, you know, do things or believe things in a certain way, like, you know, if you, if you believe that, that I have to, you know, turn up on church, on time, and, and say the right words, and take part in communion. If all of these external things are what you're looking to and having faith in, then they actually become hollow, and they lose their point, even though they're valuable. In this particular context, you know, the, the Galatians were, were being, had people coming in and trying to get them to do things like, you know, observe the feasts and, you know, do some of the other stuff that come out of the law, like, you know, pushing for circumcision. Like, they were Greeks. It wasn't their culture. It wasn't required of them. But yet these other people come along we're trying to tell them, oh, these, these external things, these fleshly things are required for you to become a Christian. But no, it's faith. It's not works. And Paul here, he's, he's all messed up. He's perplexed because he wants us to understand. He wanted these people to understand that it's actually Christ that needs to be formed in you and that if you get circumcised, that doesn't form Christ. If you observe the feasts, that doesn't form Christ. If you go through the ceremonial washings and stuff before you eat, that doesn't form Christ. All of those things that were included in the law, they had a purpose. But now that Christ has come, they're not the reason. They're not the way. Those things are foundation, elementary stuff, they come out of the world and out of culture. And the, the whole point that we need to reflect on is, is what culture do we observe in this? Because like it or not, we live, you know, yes, we're in the church and there is, there is you know, religious cultures that come from the human mind that we have in the church and if, if we build them up to a place where where we think they are the means to an end they are our way to appear or to participate in the household of God well then that's hollow and it doesn't work it's actually our love for Christ having Christ formed in us 
But the other thing that we need to really look into is that we live in a culture that is influenced by the family in which we grew up in and the society in which we live. And, and those two things are very powerful in how they affect our behaviour and how they affect the way, we, the way we see the world, what we actually believe. And it's very easy. And if we looked at ourselves and put these things before the Lord, we will actually see that, that much of our thought processes and the things that we pursue are actually influenced by, by culture, as in worldly culture. And these elementary principles of the world, these, these basal things that come, they come actually out of the flesh, the human nature, because we are, we are flesh. We're born into a fallen world with a sinful nature and all of the things that that means. And the society in which we live is subject to that. And so the things that seem wise and seem good in our society, they can control us, they can influence us, and we can actually become captivated by them to the detriment of our love for Christ. And so... You know, this is this question, who has who? You know, you sort of think about, I remember once I had a, this, this open-eyed vision once, and you know, about, it was actually the Lord t- talking to me about, you know, my ideals with regard to how I discipline my children. This was really early on when, when Joshua, my eldest, was only a toddler. And I... I was shaving and, and I had this vision of, of a cat and I had this cat by the neck. I don't really like cats very much, um, but I had this vision of this cat by the neck, but it had all four of its legs wrapped around my forearm and all of its claws sunk into my forearm, you know, and blood dribbling down on all four spots where it's, so it was like, Dum. it had me, but I had it. It was a case of, well, who had who? Did I have it or did it, did, it, did it have me? And I was thinking, the message in that moment the Lord was saying to me was, you know, because I was uh, trying to be very strong and pushing my particular ideal as to, to how I wanted my, my children to grow up and, and to behave. And the Lord was saying, well, you're actually being a little bit too strong. And what is, what's actually driving your, your zeal is not me, but it's actually some judgment that you have with regard to your past and how you look at, at others, you know, other children, how they behave in church or how, you know, it would have probably been more powerfully how my experience in growing up as a child under my own parents. And so you, you make a judgment and you go, oh, when I grow up and when I get married and when I have children I'm going to do it this way and so can you see that there's these foundational initial things that that look fed into the way that I saw the world and, and fed into how I was going to behave 
but it didn't produce a good outcome and it wasn't producing a good outcome. And so the Lord intervened. He gave me this open-eyed vision about, hey, wait a minute, you've got to pull back. And in a similar way, we, we all have experiences in life and we make judgments around on the things that we see that feed into the choices that we make and how we behave. And they come from somewhere. And we don't, we, what Paul is, is so concerned about in these scriptures is that, is that the things that you cling to, the things that you are captivated by, it needs to be Christ. It needs to be that which is elemental, that which is foundational, that you find in him, not what you find in the culture, whether it be religious culture or family culture or culture of our society. Paul here in, in Colossians 2.20 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not ta taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. Because these things don't last. According to human precepts and teachings. These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism. I can't say that word very well. Ascetism. Um, which means just really, that word ascetism means really, really strong self-discipline. Like, like over the top. Denying yourself, denying the flesh, you know. Um, and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We talked about this last week. But here Paul says, if you die to these, these things, these foundational things that are, that are in our own souls, these things that we see in our flesh and in our family and in our culture, and they, they are common to humanity basic principles, but in the end it's, it's actually the flesh, it's the sinful nature. He says, why do we make ourselves subject to them? And so, you know, individual by individual there will be things in our hearts where, where we reflect on them, we'll actually see that we are making ourselves subject to things that you don't find in Christ. And they're actually not helpful. And you'll find them you can find them in the schoolyard, you can find them in the workplace, you can find them in our culture. And we submit to them. Some of these things might be as broad as things like, oh, yeah, this is how much money you need to when you retire. This is this common thing that comes through West, our Western culture here in Australia. You know, whole articles written on them. And it's meant, what it does is it produces fear. It's not like as if these things are, are not important, but if you become captivated from, by these things, you can take your eyes off Christ and you end up putting your eyes on this, and then you can end, end up living your life subject to other people's regulations, Cult, cultural regulations and foundational principles that actually don't push you towards Christ or push you to faith. They actually push you into 
a place of being away from Christ. You're a slave to something else and fear is involved. And for some people, they, it can, this is just one example, but it could be fitness, could be your health, could be what you eat. And, and all of these things, it's not necessarily that they are not good, but if you become subject to them, if you become slaves to them, then it means that your eyes are not on the things above, your eyes are on the things of this world. And it says here that they, are, they have the appearance of wisdom. The thing is, you'll find this also with regard to, to concepts that you find in, in Christian faith. You know, religious concepts, religious notions. We've talked a little bit about those things before. You know, positioning yourself in a place so that you appear as if you're doing well or you, you're doing things that are supposed to be important but yet your heart is far away from Christ. You're, you know, having a, you know, like as if you're part of a football team and you're, you know, it's important that you know your role, you know your place, you do your job so that you don't get put on the bench. And if that's your attitude in the church, you just don't want to be on the bench, you want to be in... The thing is that knowing your role and knowing your place and doing your job, yes, it's important, but the reason for it is to look at Christ. If it's just how you want to be seen, then there's a problem. And so one way is you're becoming subject to the elemental things of the knowledge of God, the word of God, and the other way is you're becoming subject to the elemental things of the flesh. You're trying to puff yourself up. You're trying to make yourself feel secure. Whereas the way God wants it is you look to him. You're motivated to serve him. And you'll notice there the very last verse of that chapter says, of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Because in the end, the elemental spirits of the world or these basal, base principles of the world they all come out of the flesh because we have a fallen nature. And so in terms of you know, what, we, what we're captivated to, you know, we need to cling to something that is alive. You know, like, for example, you know, we're meant to cling to, to Christ, the rock. But if we try and get out of our own wisdom something and tack it on to Christ the rock in our own thinking. Imagine you're a, a rock climber. You know, you're, you're climbing a wall. And you, when you're a rock climber and you're climbing a wall, you're looking for good holes, ones that won't break off. And, you know, I've watched a few YouTube clips about this and they, you know, they, they actually test the hole. You know, you, they give it a rag yes, it's... And over, after a while, you get a bit of a feel for, yeah, this is a good hole, I can trust the hole. You even get a knowledge of the type of rock, you know, whether it's likely to, to break off. Like some, some rocks are really, really solid. You know, some, and others, like shaley-type stuff, might separate. So you have this, this 
Well, really, a climbing intuition. It's just like a sixth sense that develops. It just feels right. Oh, this one feels good. Ah, oh, no, I don't trust that one. And so if we get in our lives something that comes out of our own understanding and we clap it on to what we think Christ is and we hold on to that, well, it's not a solid hold. If it comes straight out of ourselves, it's not firm, it's not secure. It'll, we, can, we can't rely on it. It might for a little while, but... You know, the first cold night that comes along, first difficult circumstance that comes along, you cling to it, it'll fall off. Another example, you know, a strong vine. You know, if you wanted to climb on a vine, you want it to be not a dead one. Jesus describes himself, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we're meant to cling to something that's alive. If, you know, you're trying to do a Tarzan as a kid, you know, going through, oh, doing the Tarzan swing on a vine, you pick one that's alive because it's got the sap running in it, it's strong, it's flexible, but if it's dead, it'll break and you'll fall. So the application in our life with regard to to what we cling to, what we're captivated to by, is that if we look to, to regulations, if we look to the ways and the influences and the fears of this world, the basic principles that come out of our fleshly nature, well then it's like clinging to a, to a dead vine because there's no life in it. But in the end, it, it actually comes back to the motivation because when you're clinging to something, if your motivation for holding on to it is, is to be part of the kingdom of God and to serve God and to, to be obedient to Christ, to, to, this is a way I can humble myself. On the flip side, if the reason why you're clinging to something and doing something is, oh, because this, is, this will make me look better, this will make other people accept me, this will mean that people won't judge me. Uh, this will mean that people won't dismiss me or, or reject me. You notice the difference, the contrast between the two? One is dead and the other one's alive. One is clinging to grappling, trying to make sure that by your own strength your position in life is, is okay. And the other one is just trusting the Lord, loving him, serving him and in this other one great fruitfulness flows but the trick is that it takes time it takes time for the sort of the fruit of clinging to things of the flesh to go away and it takes time usually for the fruit of clinging to the things that are alive to actually start to flow into your life in terms of changing your circumstances, changing the, the habits that you form in the way that you think. And so, which is why it's a daily thing. And it takes time for it to think. And the other thing is that, you know, if we're going to cling to something, this is what I'm using illustrations that come, you know, out of the scripture now. Jesus is, is like a flowing stream. You know, like, you know, rivers of living water flow out of us 
Why? Because Christ is in us. If Christ is not in us, and if Christ is not in our motivation, well then there's no life, there's no flowing water. Now we can go and try and, you know, get a drink from an empty cistern. We can try and, you know, drink the dust, but it won't quench the thirst. It might appear for a moment like as if you're doing the right thing, but it's not satisfactory. It's not, it doesn't have a long-term effect. We end up tricking ourselves. And so the point of all this you know, is, that, is the Lord wants us you know, to look to him. But it's like one of those things where we, we actually don't get to to choose the reality of these things is that, is that there are base principles. Just like we are subject to the law of gravity, and it doesn't matter where you go, whether you're inside or outside, on the top of the world or the bottom of the world, the same, same law is at work. These, these elemental base principles, they're both at work at the same time, all the time. And we get to choose which one we're subject to. Either the ones that come out of our flesh or the ones that set our eyes and looking towards the Lord. And I guess the place that I wanted to finish today with regard to our faith, of course we should look at ourselves but we should also have compassion and a heart of intercession towards a community like Mount Morgan. Because, you know, there's, there's a culture and these, these base principles, these, these rudiments with regard to the spirit of this world, the spirit of the flesh, we see at work in the community around us. And the answer for deliverance and for a changing of culture in this town is the same as the answer it is inside of us. Is that eyes need to shift from looking at the problem, at ourselves, at what we think others think about us and all the strivings that we try to do out of our own wisdom, shift from that focus to looking to Jesus and allowing him to become the reason. Now that, of course, is the gospel. This is the gospel message, which is, you know, Christ is king. He wants us to come into his family. He wants us to become part of his household. And there's all of the different things, you know, Christ crucified, Christ raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ who heals us. But he is our king. He longs for us to be in relationship with him. So we'll pray. Father, Lord, I ask your blessing and your grace and the voice of your Holy Spirit to be upon our own hearts. Lord, that we would be able to see clearly the things that we cling to.
Well, what is it that, that captivates our heart? Is it, Lord, is it things that come out of our own wisdom? Is it things that we're striving for, Lord, out of our own understanding? Lord, so we want to look, so we want to belong. But Lord, in the end, we, Lord, I ask that you give to us grace that we would Lord, look to Christ and grow, Lord, in those most basic of things of belonging to you, not being a slave and subject to things that are outside of you, but rather pursuing you. And Lord, this turns us Lord, towards this town in which, Lord, we live, we love. Lord, I ask your favour to be upon Mount Morgan. Lord, the, the scripture says that the God of this age has, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see. And so, Father, if, if Lord, we are to set our eyes on things above, Lord, to, to look to Christ then, Lord, may the gospel prosper in Mount Morgan. I pray for this town. Lord, that more and more we would see, Lord, men and women, young and old, Lord, to be able to see Christ. Lord, to be able to set their eyes on things above. Lord, there's so many things that, 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 are, that consume the heart of of an individual. But Lord, to know you, Lord, indeed is freedom. So Father, I ask you for grace. So Father, in both of these things, for us as individuals, Lord, I ask you for your favour. But Lord, also for this town. Lord, because it's, Lord, it's the same thing. Lord, for us as individuals and for the town, Lord, Christ must be the reason. Christ, Lord, to captivate our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.